Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Saturday, April 15th and Sunday, April 16th, 2023. Uh, there are a couple of anniversaries we could note. On April 14th, 1912, shortly before midnight, the allegedly unsinkable ocean liner RMS Titanic struck an iceberg and began sinking, in part due to the fact that it carried enough lifeboats for only about half of the passengers on board. Uh, and a third of the passengers that it could have carried at full capacity, the Titanic sinking became one of the biggest maritime disasters in history, killing more than 1,500 people. Uh, on April 15, 1947, Jackie Robinson made his Major League Baseball debut for the Brooklyn Dodgers, becoming the first African-American to play in the MLB, breaking the color barrier that had been entrenched in the league since the 1880s. Two years later, he became the first African-American to win his league's Most Valuable Player Award in the 1949 season, and he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. On April 16th, all the way back in the year 1457 BC, this is the date most commonly cited for the Battle of Megiddo, the earliest well-documented or at least reasonably well-documented battle in human history. An Egyptian army under Pharaoh Thutmose III defeated a group of rebelling Canaanite kingdoms at Megiddo, a city that was the site of so many battles in the ancient world that it gave its name to the hypothetical apocalyptic Battle of Armageddon. Uh, they followed up by besieging the city, which fell seven months later. Tutmos's victory restored Egyptian preeminence in the Levant and enabled the greatest territorial expansion in ancient Egyptian history. Uh, let's move on to the news. In the Middle East and Syria, Islamic State fighters killed at least 26 people. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights has updated that figure to 36 on Sunday in yet another attack on a group of truffle hunters, this time in Syria's Hama province. In a separate attack also on Sunday, another group of IS fighters killed at least five shepherds and abducted two others in eastern Syria's Derizor province. And Turkish forces exchanged artillery fire with the Kurdish YPG militia in northern Syria with four Turkish soldiers wounded in the skirmish. There is no word, uh, as far as I can tell, on Kurdish casualties. Friday's meeting of foreign ministers from the GCC plus three states, that's the GCC plus Egypt, Jordan, and Iraq, did not result in an agreement on whether or not to invite Syrian President Bashar al-Assad to next month's Arab League summit in Riyadh. Despite recent moves toward restoring relations between Assad's government and several Arab states, there continues to be some opposition within the group, primarily from Qatar, uh, to full normalization, absence at least some sort of commitment from Assad related to settling the Syrian civil war. Despite the lack of agreement, however, things are still trending toward Assad's reacceptance by the wider Arab world and maybe beyond. His foreign minister, Faisal Mekdad, visited Algeria over the weekend and will head to Tunisia on Monday. Both trips intended to further that, that reacceptance process. And the Syrian news outlet Al Modon is even reporting. Uh, this link is in Arabic, just FYI, if you click on it, if you're in the in the newsletter clicking around, that there have been meetings between Syrian and U.S. representatives in Oman. Uh, now, these have been limited to discussions of U.S. nationals held prisoner in Syria and the U.S. military presence in eastern Syria. There's no confirmation that these alleged meetings have taken place, but if the reporting is accurate, then it seems that even the U.S. government has sort of grudgingly come to the realization that Assad isn't going anywhere. 
In Yemen, uh, the warring sides on Sunday concluded their three-day prisoner swap extravaganza, releasing 869 prisoners in total. That's slightly fewer than the 887 prisoner figure uh, that had been mentioned in previous reporting. Uh, There's no explanation for the discrepancy, but some miscounting in a situation like this is not unprecedented. Another round of talks between Saudi Arabia and Houthi rebel leaders is expected to take place possibly as soon as this coming weekend and could involve discussions of a much larger, possibly even all-for-all, prisoner exchange. In Israel-Palestine, thousands of worshippers headed to Jerusalem's Church of the Holy Sepulchre and other Christian houses of worship in Gaza and the West Bank on Saturday night for Easter vigil services, despite strict Israeli restrictions on the size of the holiday crowds. Videos circulating online show Israeli security forces manhandling worshippers in Jerusalem. Israeli authorities have imposed limits on Easter crowds in past years, but this year seems to have been more restrictive than most, partly due to tension over Al-Aqsa and the holiday's conjunction with Ramadan and Passover. I should take this opportunity, which I should have done at the top of the newsletter, to wish a happy Easter to anyone who is celebrating today. In Asia, in Thailand, a new poll puts Thai Prime Minister Prayut Chan-o-Cha's United Thai Nation Party well behind two other blocs heading into next month's Thai parliamentary election. The survey, conducted last week by a couple of Thai media outlets, puts opposition leader Tong Tarn Shinawatra's Fu Thai Party, uh, and I apologize for mangling all of that, in the lead at 38.89% support followed by another opposition party move forward uh, at 32.37%. Prayut's party slots in third with 12.84% support. He also lags on the question of who voters would prefer as prime minister in sort of head-to-head matchups. So it's really not looking great for Prayut, assuming that the election uh, is conducted on the up-and-up, which may be a big assumption. In Indonesia, West Papua National Liberation Army, or TPNPB, fighters killed at least one and possibly as many as nine Indonesian soldiers when they reportedly ambushed a patrol in the Papua region on Saturday. Said patrol was one of several units deployed to search for New Zealand pilot pilot, uh, Philip Mertens, who's been in TPNPB custody since February, as we've covered in the newsletter. The group has apparently rethought its plan to trade Mertens for Papuan independence, since that was never going to happen, Uh, but Indonesian authorities still don't seem inclined to negotiate for his release. In China, G7 foreign ministers are meeting in Japan for the next three days, and the main topic on their agenda is, as seems so often to be the case at international gatherings these days, what is to be done about China? And I want to apologize for uh, stealing Emma Ashford's Substack newsletter uh, name there, what is to be done. Uh, In particular, the gang will probably extend the furor over French President Emmanuel Macron's recent comments over Europe's involvement in a potential Taiwan conflict by issuing some sort of unified statement of purpose regarding such an event. In Japan, Prime Minister Kishida Fumio had to be evacuated from a speech he was delivering in Japan's Wakayama prefect on Saturday after an explosion apparently caused by a smoke bomb. The incident unsurprisingly evoked memories of the assassination of former PM Abe Shinzo last July, though it does not appear that Kishida's life was actually in any danger. The apparent bomber has been arrested, but there's still no indication yet as to his motive. 
on to Africa in Sudan. Weeks of tension between the factions of Sudan's ruling junta exploded, in many cases literally, on Saturday when the country's regular military and its paramilitary rapid support forces unit started fighting one another openly. As we noted on Thursday, the Sudanese army had warned of the potential for some sort of conflict after the RSF abruptly deployed its fighters in several Sudanese cities, including Khartoum. On Saturday, those RSF forces attacked military facilities across the country, with some of the heaviest fighting reported around the military headquarters in Khartoum and around large airports, including Khartoum International Airport. At some point, RSF fighters captured a unit of Egyptian soldiers who were in Sudan, probably for joint exercises of some kind, and it has promised to work with Egyptian authorities to repatriate them. Despite what appeared to be some initial success on Saturday, possibly thanks to the element of surprise, by Sunday, Reuters was suggesting that the tide had turned against the RSF. And given the Sudanese military's advantages, uh, if we just go by its advantage in air power alone even, that assessment certainly seems plausible. The RSF did apparently seize Sudanese state television headquarters in Omdurman on Sunday, prompting authorities to take that station off the air. The two sides established a ceasefire for several hours late Sunday afternoon for humanitarian purposes, but the the fighting appears to have resumed after that. According to the Central Committee of Sudanese Doctors, at least 56 civilians have been killed in the fighting. This is as of Sunday evening. That figure will probably have increased by the time you listen to this or read this. Uh, Along with an untold number of combatants and upwards of 600 people have been wounded. Uh, There doesn't seem to be any question that the RSF fired first, so to speak, but unsurprisingly, each side, the military led by Junta Bas Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and the RSF led by Deputy Junta leader Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, is blaming the other for provoking the conflict. The weekend fighting provoked considerable international outcry, also unsurprisingly, and prompted at least one international aid group, the World Food Program, to shut down its Sudanese operations after three of its personnel were killed. It would probably be exaggerating to say that Sudan is now in a state of civil war, but the gulf between this situation and a full-blown civil war is not wide. It's also far too soon to draw any conclusions about what this weekend's festivities mean for the tattered remnants of Sudan's political transition, other than to say that there's presumably no way the military and RSF will be able to return to their previous state of tense coexistence. Uh, We'll have to see if the fighting continues and uh, how long it continues Obviously, there's a lot. This has just started, so it's potentially uh, could go on for quite some time. Who knows? Uh, in Burkina Faso, unknown gunmen killed at least six Burkina Bay soldiers and 34 members of the Volunteers for the Defense of the Homeland Paramilitary Force in Burkina Faso's Nord region on Saturday. Another 33 people were wounded in the attack. The attackers were presumably Islamist militants, though their p- uh, specific affiliation is unknown. In Nigeria, officials in Kaduna State, which is in northwestern Nigeria, reported Sunday that gunmen had attacked a village called Runji, killing at least 33 people. The attackers destroyed at least 35 homes in their rampage. I'm unclear from the reporting when this attack took place. Uh, Northwestern Nigerian villages are frequently raided by bandit gangs looking to loot homes, steal cattle, and or kidnap residents for ransom. 
On to Europe and Ukraine. The Ukrainian and Russian governments commemorated Easter with a prisoner swap, with Moscow releasing some 130 POWs in exchange for an unspecified number freed by the Ukrainians. There was no corresponding ceasefire, however, which dampened Easter celebrations in Ukraine and the reports of at least a couple of Ukrainian churches uh, being struck by Russian artillery fire, though I don't believe anything seriously. Uh, the Russian military also reported making some minor advances in and around Bakhmut. In Finland, the Finnish government broke ground on Friday on a planned barbed wire fence running along its 1,340-kilometer-long border with Russia. This is not a military defense measure. Suffice to say, barbed wire would not be much of an obstacle uh, in the event of a Russian invasion. But it is intended to slow down asylum seekers attempting to enter Finland without stopping at an official border checkpoint. The Russian government has been accused of weaponizing asylum seekers in the past, uh, including with respect to Finland in, uh, I believe, 2015, 2016, a little crisis uh, that, that happened in that period. So there is at least some political message, I would say, behind the new barrier. Uh, in France, you'll undoubtedly be happy to know that most of Emmanuel Macron's pension overhaul officially became law on Saturday. The previous day, France's constitutional court tossed out part of the overhaul, but approved most of it, including the part that raised the French retirement age from 62 to 64, which was the part that's generated most of the popular opposition to the measure. French unions are promising to continue their protest against the overhaul until Macron repeals it, but there is little reason at this point to think that he could be swayed in that direction, no matter how big the protests get. In the Americas, in Colombia, one of the two most prominent groups of a dissident ex-revolutionary armed forces of Colombia are FARC fighters, the Estado Mayor Central, or EMC, uh, Central, I guess, announced on Sunday that it is prepared to open peace talks with the Colombian government on May 16th. The EMC, which has been honoring a ceasefire it made with the government in January, is comprised primarily of former FARC members who rejected the group's 2016 peace deal. Uh, this is as opposed to the other major dissident FARC faction, the Segunda Marquetalia, uh, which consists of ex-FARC members who accepted the deal in 2016, but later withdrew, citing the Colombian government's failure to honor its terms. Colombian authorities have not commented on the EMC statement, but this does seem certainly like a major boost to President Gustavo Petro's efforts to negotiate his way out of Colombia's myriad armed conflicts. And in the United States, uh, finally from Tom Dispatch, Karen Greenberg tracks uh, a shift in the United States from the forever war in Afghanistan to what she calls an eternal war pretty much everywhere else. I'll just read you a couple of paragraphs here. It is time, President Biden announced in April 2021, to end the forever war that started with the invasion of Afghanistan soon after the tragic terror attacks on this country in September on September 11, 2001. Indeed, that August, amid chaos and disaster, the president did finally pull the last remaining U.S. forces out of that country. A year and a half later, it's worth reflecting on where the United States stands when it comes to both that forever war against terrorism and war generally. As it happens, the war on terror is anything but ended, even if it's been overshadowed by the war in Ukraine and simmering conflicts around the globe, all too often involving the United States. In fact, it now seems as if this country is moving at breakneck speed out of the era of forever war 
into what might and into what might be thought of as the era of eternal war. Granted, it's hard even to keep track of the potential powder kegs that seem all too ready to explode across the globe and are likely to involve the U.S. military in some fashion. Still, at this moment, perhaps it's worth running through the most likely spots for future conflict. And she does go into them, everything from Russia and China to North Korea, Iran, uh, the... Uh, other various locations that are still uh, in, a part of the war on terror, Syria, uh, etc. So, uh, and and she looks at uh, Congress's support for the eternal war and the ever escalating military budgets. The fact that we still won't get rid of the post nine eleven authorization for use of military force. Uh, all these things that add up to uh, just you know a state of perpetual war. The forever war is is gone, but or maybe maybe fading out or. Uh, maybe transitioning into something else, but that doesn't mean that we're done with war, I guess, because the United States will never actually be done with war. But uh, that's, uh, I digress. Anyway, uh, on that note, I want to thank you for listening to and or reading the newsletter. And thanks to all of you who are foreign exchanges subscribers, especially those of you who are paid foreign exchanges subscribers, making this newsletter possible. And if you have not made the jump to paid subscriber, I would urge you please to consider it. Uh, so that foreign exchanges can continue operating. Until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.